0: Hello and welcome to the Brain Health Podcast, your home for everything brain health. Today, we have a very special treat for you. Dr. Gervais is here to talk to us a little bit about how to optimize ourselves as not only athletes, but any kind of elite performance uh, that we could do as humans, get the most out of us, uh, take us to our potential. He's done great work across those in sports, pop culture, top level CEOs from Olympians, to those changing the worlds with their thoughts and ideas. He's a host of a podcast as well, a very successful one, and would like to bring him on to shed a little bit of light on the science behind optimizing the way that we think, the way that we act, and the way that we behave. Welcome, Dr. Gervais.
1: Elliot, that was awesome. Um, I feel honored to be here with you, so thank you for the kind introduction, and um, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, that just like you, this beautiful science of psychology is wonderful, it's complicated, it's nuanced, and it's, I think, what you and I both spend most of our times thinking about. And so I'm, I'm honored to be able to spend some time with you here today.
0: Awesome, and our guest host here, Nathan, is studying sports psychology. He is moving his way through. Welcome, Nathan, and we're looking forward to hearing from you throughout the episode. Thank you, I appreciate you guys having me as well.
1: Let's go, Nathan. (laughs) Let's go. So,
0: so welcome. So I just want to hear a little bit about your history and sports. What inspired you to get to that point uh, as far as being a sports psychologist, but then also just like a human optimizer, I'd say like the ability to, to get people and take them to where their potential lies.
1: Is that for me? Yes. yes, Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Um, So I started as a young athlete and um, I didn't quite fit in traditional stick and ball sports. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't understand why these adults were yelling at me. And there was these artificial rules, these man-made rules about don't go out of bounds and you have to you know, do this or that for it to be legal. I didn't get it. And so um, I grew up um, outside of Virginia for the first kind of handful of years where very laissez-faire parenting, which you know is a technical term for hands-off <laughs> parenting. And then my, my playground was the kind of the 20 acres that we lived on. So there was a a tapping into the nature um, and the rules of nature, which I absolutely respected. And then in traditional stick and ball sport, I was like, wait, these rules are silly. And so then I rotated and found myself in action sports. So sports that had real consequences when you made a mistake. And when I say real, I mean, there's no one really watching you. And if you make a mistake, there's no coaching, right? Mother nature is the coach. When you make a mistake, you leave some blood on the asphalt from skateboarding, or you get held under for a long time, scarily long time in surfing, or, you know, there's large engines and motocross that um, can do some damage. So it's, it's that type of thing that I was attracted to. And I spent most of my life um, sorting out how to work with fear and risk and excitement.
2: So you said uh, you got into motocross and racing, correct?
1: Yeah. So it wasn't, I, I didn't actually race in motocross. My competitive, it was more backcountry fun, uh, Yahoo type of <laughs> engagement. It was not competitively racing. So
2: was that a high speed action sports? Do you think that's truly what drove you into studying sports psychology or?
1: Yeah, it's a good question because what happened for me was it came through surfing. And there's two types of surfing, there's free surfing, and then there's competitive surfing. And during free, so I, I I eventually migrated to my family did to Southern California and in free surfing, it's essentially, you know, there's a culture to it. There's a hardcore culture to it, which is go do the thing. Don't talk about it. You know, there's no bragging it's, it's very much quote unquote core and It forces you to experience the nature of that, that, that thin line between risk and excitement, and it forces you to, to experience it because there's no pictures, there's no talking about it afterwards. So it's only up to you to experience it. And then competition surfing is exactly the opposite. There's people on the beach, they're judging, they're critiquing, they're giving you scores, there's chatter about it, there's conversations. And I couldn't make that migration. And so I could do the thing in free surfing. And, um, but then as soon as there was judges and critiques, I, I felt like I was in a different body and I didn't understand it. Nathan, I, I, I didn't get, this was like, as a 15 year old kid, like what I didn't lose all my technical skills, you know, from yesterday. And so the only thing that changed was the environment. And I was fundamentally different. And it led me down this path, this, this insight first, which is like, wait, it's not my, physical body. It's not my technical skills. It's my mind, <laughs> you know? And I was like, damn. And this was really as a 15 year old kid, this was back in the eighties. I didn't know what sports psychology was. I didn't, I, I had no clue that there was that thing. I barely knew what psychology was. And so it just led me down the path eventually um, that there's this thing between our ears, so to speak, that is incredibly powerful and it travels everywhere we go. And if you get that thing dialed in, like, then you can find a sense of freedom, a sense of being at home in even the most stressful, rugged, consequential high-speed environments. And it's that sense of being at home with yourself anywhere on the planet that I was deeply attracted to.
2: Once you, once you started to realize, you know, I think you say you're 15 after that, when you started to realize that it's in your head about competing in front of judges, um, Do you start competing uh, like better or do you start competing again once you understood what it took? You no,
1: know, I didn't start studying it at that point. I just, okay. I had the kind of moment where it was like, Oh wait, there's something here, but there was zero resource. You know, this is like in two, well, two twofold. One is sports psychology is a, as a discipline was not happening really you know it was reserved for it was still in the laboratory and it was reserved for elite athletes kind of and at that phase in our profession um the titans in our field were were kind of moonlighting it wasn't like there was a full-time job in a pro sport so they're professors and they were you know using professional athletes to refine their craft And then um, sometimes it was paid. Sometimes it wasn't. So it was really this thing that was in the ivory tower, not even part of the vernacular for young athletes. And so um, it wasn't until, so I struggled. I just kept struggling, you know, like, and it wasn't until I got to college that I was like, oh, there's this whole discipline of science called psychology. And funny thing, like out of all humility, I keep my, I did take my senior year in high school. I took uh, a psychology class. So I knew there was something, but it was weird. It was, we're studying, you know, um, things that didn't make sense to me. And I failed in high school. I failed that class. I didn't go straight to a four-year university. I didn't have the, um, the, the foundation to do that. So I went to a junior college. And so I failed that. Um, and then in the DSM, So I eventually went on and got an undergraduate degree, a master's degree in exercise science, a PhD in psychology, specialization, licensed, and then a specialization in sport. And then, so in the DSM, which is the diagnostical manual for all the quote unquote disorders for psychology, I keep my high school um, uh, report card in there, just as a reminder, like, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean you don't eventually fall in love with it. You know, like it doesn't have to happen right away. Surfing didn't happen right away, <laughs> academics didn't happen right away. So there's a unique path that we all get to follow. And um, thank you for asking about mine.
0: Yeah, it was just interesting, because at the time, none of those resources were readily available. And it's great to see the shift between what was going on then to, to what's going on now. And one of the reasons why I was so interested in, in bringing you on is, is to highlight this path, this career, what it can provide to people who are interested in get, being fulfilled um, by helping others, but also those that can be helped. So one thing that we've seen uh, just throughout sports history is that human performance is increasing at, at like a pretty decent rate. You go across all sports. And it's my my intuition is telling me that changes in the way that humans are seeing the world and really, creating a a mind space to let them succeed has been one of the biggest advances most recently in sports. And I was interested to hear kind of your thoughts on this for part of the reasons why humans are now doing better in sports, beating old records. I think that a lot of it has to do with the, the mental side, the emotional side, the cognitive side. Would you agree with
1: that? There's only three things we can train as humans. We can train our body. We can train our craft, the technical aspect, and that's whether you're an athlete or you're an executive or an artist, right? You can train your technical craft and then you can train your mind. So it's those three are the foundation for growth. And for years, we've been interested in the mind and you could go for, for decades, my almost my entire life. If I would ask somebody about like how important is psychology, when I, if I were to ask a pro athlete or a you know um a coach in the in the pros how important is psychology at this level and they they'd nod their head like oh yeah and then you ask a question like okay so how are you guys getting after it what do you mean well like how do you guys train the mind well, well what do you mean you know and so there's a, it was a long time it was a big gaping hole but so yes it is becoming more, as a science, it's becoming more sophisticated. We are moving from the laboratory into application. Like there's, there's advancements there. And we've got elite athletes that are waving their hands saying, I'm not doing it like it. I'm not doing this kind of craziness anymore where I'm sacrificing everything. I got to keep it all buttoned up, pretend like I'm absolutely perfect. Like I, I can't do it anymore. It's, it's ridiculous. And then we've got this, the great migration, the great resignation, sorry. We've got the great resignation that's happening in business where people in all walks of life are waving their arms saying, I'm not doing it like this anymore. I'm not sacrificing um, my, the relationship with my family and my, you know, my, my home life for you when I feel like all you're doing is extracting from me the best of me and leaving me depleted, stressed, um, fatigued, tired, agitated by the time I get home. I'm not doing this anymore. So are you leaving? Yeah, I'm leaving. Do you have a job? no, but I'm not doing this anymore. So athletes are doing it. Um, the, the other populations are doing it across the planet right now. And so that's kind of some contextual stuff and the science is catching up and technology is sharing best practices at uh, an instant rate. So when I was growing up, you know, I don't know about for you guys, but when I was growing up, we had to wait to see what the great surfers were doing. Once a month, we get a magazine, you know, maybe every two months, we get a VHS clip, you know, like a a video session of some guys doing some stuff. So now technology is instant. It's shared. It invites imagination. People have targets that are uh, more extraordinary. And that's happening in not only sport, but arts and business. The rate of speed of communication is enhancing the imagination of, of people at scale. And then we've got this radical science that is supporting it. And then we've got people saying, Hey, the cool kids are saying this thing matters. The ones that are on the frontier, on the edge, you know, that are doing the things that the the rest of the world, me included, are afraid to do, you know, they're like, Hey, let's go like invest in your mind because without it, what's up, you know, like, so what you're a physical specimen. So what, you know, if you're depressed and anxious and, you know, have suicide ideation and you feel lonely and fatigued, like, forget about it. It's not worth it. So it's a radical time right now. And I'm for a lot of reasons, you know, geopolitical times, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a, there's a fire and a fear that is in the air right now. And um, it's unsettled grounds that we're on. So what does that mean? We need to double down, triple down on um, our first principles. What are the first principles that guide our thoughts, our words and our actions? Because when the world around us is unsettled, just like it is right now. I mean, we're in war. We are. Um, our economy is upside down. Our political system in the US is sideways. And so w- with all of that taking place, then we need to anchor to our first principles. And this is where historically, religion has shown up for people, which is a system. It's an organized structured system about how to practice, and how the future makes sense according to that system, to that practice. But over the course of the last, call it two decades, those those systems are failing people. So we're seeing a migration there too, a resignation from from those trusted institutions. So, you know, um, it's a it's a it is a challenge that we're under right now.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely a. Uh a massive massive challenge what i what i find so interesting about performance psychology as a whole is like yes it follows like traditional routes of dealing with you know some of the things that can kind of plague us as humans like excessive worry like anxiety rumination on the past depression but one thing that's been changing with psychology you know in the last probably 40 or so years that hasn't necessarily caught on as well with the mainstream as as i'd i'd like is that Psychology also helps with, it helps everybody with performance and, and optimization. And it's not only for those who are in the middle of a depressive episode or anxiety. We all experience like depressive depressed mood from time to time or anxiety from time to time. But also it can help those who don't necessarily have these traits to optimize how to act on a day-to-day basis, how to regulate their emotions, how to get in the zone, how to be mindful how to reach a flow state. And I'm interested in in hearing like some of the techniques that are kind of central to your practice, certainly flow and, and mindfulness are, I was wondering if you could kind of touch on those or some other ones that
1: are massive. Yeah, cool. Thank you. So I love the framing that you have because in, in the athletic world, one of the takeaways is that we train and practice and then we test, right? So let's call it I was with the, um, the Seattle Seahawks for nine seasons an NFL team. And so on, uh, the game is on Sunday. So Monday is like a quick review Tuesday's day off Wednesday. And on the day off for athletes, coaches are making sense of what we're going to try to do next week, you know, for the upcoming team. Wednesday is intense practice. Thursday is a little bit lighter. Friday is a little bit lighter, but we're sharpening different skills. We're calling down the the playbook, we're making more sense of what's working for us, what's not. And then Saturday's kind of a light dusting, if you will. And uh, not to be confused, all of it's very intense. But but the idea is that we're practicing our skills. And so you can practice technical skills, you can practice physical skills, and as you know, you can practice mental skills. And so that's that I think is the big takeaway from elite sport, is that let's be incredibly precise and um, applied in how we train our mind. And then if we can port that, which is essentially the business that Coach Carol and I built together, is how do we port that into business? So best practices from sport, and then how do we port that over into business? What are the best practices for business people to be able to train their minds prior to being tested? And you know, in business, it's a little, it, the analogy of sport and business don't quite hold up because they're tested almost every day. You know, it's like more like baseball or ultra marathoning, if you will. And so, but that is you're on it. So how do you do it? Well, I mean, there's some very basic skills that you can train. Like you can train breathing to create, uh, um, a practice of being able to down regulate from stress. You can also use breathing to increase your capacity for stress. So depending on the nature, the cadence of the breath, long exhales help to down regulate and then long holds to build the capacity for stress. So breathing is one mindfulness practices, which is becoming aware of how your thoughts, how your emotions work together, how the unfolding environment is happening and not without judging and critiquing it. So there's a mindfulness practice that can be trained. Um, we can train the way we speak to ourselves. And so, and, 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 and right. Mental imagery, there's, there's lots of things that we can do. And then if you picked one and you said, I'm going to start. I want to get better at the mind. I want to get better at understanding my mind so I can more gracefully and powerfully be me anywhere I go. That's, I mean, it sounds simple. It's hard to do just like everything, but it's not complicated. It really isn't. So, you know, the, those are, those are just a handful of the few.
2: You gave a brief rundown of uh, like weekly schedule. Are you able to go a little more in depth with that when you're in season or uh... When you're kind of the most busy is about like day to day, you know, hour to hour waking up, how you're attacking these players or coaches or whoever, uh, clients you're working with.
1: Um, yes, absolutely. So from a team, from a sports psych standpoint in a team. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So mornings, let's just, I'm just going to do the NFL just cause we're on it right now. The morning. So I, I, you get to the building around six 30. And so you leave the building around ten thirty. So it's a long day. There's a lot, you know, to do it's, uh, 63 alpha competitors that are, you know, working to compete to their highest level. And then you've got about 25 coaches, uh, and, and, and then another, let's call it 50 to 75 support staff. And so, uh, as a, as a sports psychologist, my role is not just supporting the athletes it's like really working across the organization to help people and the systems of people be optimized so getting them get in um have a uh, first thing to do is go kind of check in with some folks it's like hallway checking in it's like hey how you doing it's there's no therapy happening right it's just checking in it's being part of the ecosystem then um there's typically a first meeting and so the first meeting is a the, the team meeting for the that the coach would provide to everybody, um, players, coaches, and um, like uh, S and strength and conditioning, and as well as um, medical. And then so there's that first meeting. So prior to that, it's like a calibration with the coach. Okay, what's what are we talking about today? And then um, and then he would deliver that message. And then after that, there. The team breaks up, so offense and defense split up, and so then um, there's a like a 10-15 minute exchange, and I'll just kind of quickly check in with the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator about how to cascade the message that just took place and how they're going to approach it, and that's kind of hallway type of system, and and I should go upstream one level is that everything we talk about has three components, so a head coach is going to talk about the mind, he's going to talk about technical, uh, or strategy, and he's going to talk about, you know, uh, the physical aspect of it. So he's always hitting those three. And then we're working to cascade that throughout the organization with high fidelity. Okay. So that's kind of like how the beginnings of the day go. And then after that, it's a little bit of a fire drill because you never know kind of what you're going to get. And then very rarely am I sitting for 45 minutes in a room with an athlete or a coach that doesn't happen very often. It is, um, far more dynamic and organic and, um, systems approaches in transition. There's times when you have conversations, but it's, um, so it varies in that way.
2: So, so nothing is never, um, so players aren't required to actually talk to you. It's just kind of, no, 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 no. no. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. So they've, they've got unions. And so actually nothing is required of an athlete other than physical um, practice.
2: When they're so, you have athletes that you know are comfortable talking with you. When you're watching during practice, are you uh, if you see something they did or made a mistake, are you waiting till they get on the sideline possibly to reach out to them and speak, or do you kind of wait after practice? Or
1: that's a cool question. Ever- Very, super applied. Um, most of the all, all of the relationship building. And the heavy lifting work happens preseason. So it happens, you know, at camp in the off season when, um, that's kind of the mode. And then, so by the time let's call it practice during, during the season, it's, it really is light touches by everybody coaches included, you know? And, and so, and it depends on, for me, it depends on the nature of, um, sometimes I'm kind of in football, like there's a, it's a large group. And so they're standing in the middle of the field. So sometimes I'm kind of standing in that space. Sometimes I'm on the sidelines watching. And it just depends on the nature of the relationship with the athlete. Sometimes athletes will run over like, Hey, that thing that we're doing, it's not working, you know, or like, did you see like it worked? It worked. Do you see that? Like, uh, you know, and so it's, it just varies. And sometimes people are dealing with stuff off the, off the field. And, you know, it's more casual. They're just kind of in between plays. They will walk over like, Hey, can I get a couple minutes with you today? Like after practice or like you know, um, I'm going through it right now. Yeah, no problem. You know? And so, you know, and and sometimes it's like in the, in the lunchroom, um, I'll be sitting and having lunch with a coach and or an athlete or something and somebody else will sit down. And then the three or four of us are having a conversation. It's an opportunity to, to use the emotional intelligence that you hold, that you possess to, to figure out like, is this a teaching moment? You know? And so, or is this like, Hey, we're just going to talk about the, you know uh, the upcoming practice or we're going to talk about what this other you know what was happening in the nda or whatever you know what i mean so it's like you, there's a high eq that's taking place all the time like are they sitting here because they kind of want to talk a little bit about imagery or they want to they want to talk about stress in general so it's there's a there's a fun little courtship that's taking place um almost like every 20 minutes it feels like with a different group
2: yeah i always thought that was interesting to see how uh because they, they, the players look at you as a sports psychologist. So I was curious to see how players will approach you. And if you were, you have to kind of know if they want to talk to you about certain situations. If they just kind of want to kick it with you and just have a normal conversation without even bothering the mind.
1: That's right. And you, you are there as a professional, you know. And so building rapport is really important as a professional. And there's a clear boundary that we hold. And if you hold that boundary so rigidly that um, it feels really weird when someone's around you, then they know no one wants to be around that, you know, like it it is better for you. If that is your personality, let's say to have an office and then have a little slider that says available, you know, come on in. And, but that to me feels like that is what we did in the eighties, you know, kind of maybe nineties more. And so it it really is important for you to know yourself. Now, I'm not, I'm not speaking to you, Nathan, but like for all of us to know ourselves and then know how we want to conduct our, our life and how our profession supports that. And then to be authentic wherever we are. And, you know, I'm part nerd, part athletically minded. And so I just, you know, (laughs) give myself permission to do that. And it ends up. Like they they look and they're like okay yeah I see you and I'll tell you a funny story and then I'll stop talking here is that uh, I've got I've got more more scar tissue and more stories to to share like about how this stuff works in in professional sports but one of them yeah. the 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 star athlete comes over and he is a I mean he is an absolute fierce <laughs> human like he's a full f- physical force the way he shows up in. Um, and he kind of walks over and this is day two or three. And he goes, I know who you are. We don't need no shrink around here. <laughs> this is like four guys watching, right? Now I was like, oh, that's funny because um, they actually brought me in for you. And then all the guys were like, oh, like it's coming. <laughs> here we go. And he goes, oh yeah, you think that's funny, huh? And I go, well, I don't know. We could break the ice. We could go a lot of different directions right now. And he goes, yeah, I'm about to take a direction right now. I'm about to step. And I said, I said, yeah, okay, that's no problems, dude. You know, and everyone else is like, oh man, that didn't go well, dude. And I go, no, it didn't go well, but you know what? That's kind of how it goes sometimes. And so, uh, come full circle, like it was that for almost a month with him. You know, that type of banter. And then, then, uh, so then I'm, I'm going to take you a, a really fast. Nine years later. I'm down in, um, I'm down in Los Angeles and I get a phone call and it, this person's name shows up and he, he calls me shrink dude. Okay. And so, um, and he goes, what are you doing? And I go, no, no, I'm having lunch. What's up? And he goes, I can do your job better than you. I go, what? I cook yeah, man. Like, what do you want? And he says, no, I'm telling you, I can do your job better than you. And I go, okay. And I'm looking around like, you know, that TV show Punked. I'm looking around like he's behind me or what he's clowning in some kind of way. And he goes, no, I'm serious, dude. Like, you know, we are at each other's throats all the time, but you know, I learned from you and I think you learn more from me though. He goes, I want to get my degree in psychology. How about it? You know? So it's like, you, you never quite know. So you just got to be you, <laughs> right? There's no one, there's nothing else to do is bring that badass science into the conversations in ways that are available for people. And um, so that, that was a a really tense kind of, I don't know, four months of work, you know, led over like less tension over (laughs) the nine years turned into like, he actually was so attracted to it, but never really had the wherewithal or the mechanism to feel safe to say, can we go, can we do some work? So anyways, I don't know, lots of those stories
2: that's that's cool uh, hey we're open to hear all the stories
1: man that's that's so cool yeah and now, oh, well, i got, i i i got I'll, I'll tell you one more story and then and then i will stop no, the stories hey, you can
2: tell us as many
1: stories as you want yeah so um this, this is a different team first first game and um i'd been around the team for probably three months so preseason kind of stuff first game though and one of the athletes is, um, and he is one of the, um, stars of the team, like, okay. And it was a big tension of whether he was going to show up to the game or not, because he was having his child or his wife was having his child. His wife was having their child <laughs> get, get, get that right. And, um, <clears throat> it, it ended up working out, but he was really late. So it was there for the birth of his child. It was amazing. And then he, he showed up and there was He was tense and tight and he already ran pretty high, if you will. And he shows up and I don't have a relationship with him at this point. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I walked over and I said, Hey, congratulations. You know? um, And I just kind of stood there for a minute while he was getting dressed. I, I don't know what I was thinking. And so he looked up at me as if he wanted to choke me. He wanted to like, I don't, I was like, Oh God. You know, like, oh God. And so I knew I stepped right in a big pile of stuff. Next day after the game, uh, one of the uh, player personnel guys come, comes over to me and he goes, hey man, we got to talk. I go, I know, I know exactly what I did. And so that relationship ended up needing some repair too. And so then, you know, in these types of scenarios, we have to recognize um, that we're also teaching repair. We're teaching mistake-making. We're teaching um, strength from honesty. And so um, I said, listen, I, um, I want, I, I know that I, I was out of my lane, you know, like I, I I, lo- I, I was, it was not the right thing to do at that moment. And the guy's like, yeah, you know, but that's, that's kind of how it goes, but he's tripping. And I said, no worries. Like, I'm going to go find him and apologize. And, you know, have a conversation with him. Um, it would it was a good, we ended up having because of that interaction, a really quite strong relationship. And so I share, like, I I feel like I'm just sharing some of the, the scars because you, you and others that want to be in pro sport will make them in business too. These happen in the hallways, but this is how culture becomes real. Otherwise it's just good words on walls, you know? And so it, in many respects, we um, were are beating that drum that the relationships in this building matter, and we're not perfect, and so we're going to make some mistakes too. So hopefully that hopefully that scar tissue will lighten somebody else's scar tissue a little bit. Yeah.
2: Are you um um so the guys that you work with I know are upper echelon when you're. You ever
1: work with adolescents at all? I did. I, I, I realized that I don't, I don't have the right way about me to, to work with younger minds. Like I just, I, it, I don't, I don't, it's not a good fit for me. And so while I, I wholly believe that in the, like the early teens and um like 13 14 15 16 in that range this stuff is so powerful and so there's a deep place for opportunities in the business to capture real real change for the masses and you know parents parents are the customers and the clients are the the children i just don't have the right language for them
2: i was always curious depending on age and your demographic how you would have to attack a player different than you would uh, someone of older age or more experienced. Cause like you said, it's super powerful when you talk to these younger teenagers, they don't know as much. So whatever you tell them, they're just going to let it ingrain versus the guys that have experience. are going to think twice about what you're telling them.
1: Yeah. And what got them there to the pros, um, isn't necessarily going to get them to the next place, but it's hard for somebody to let go of what got them to the place that they're at. So there's a different challenge. And I will share that where I practiced, my practice was for 18 years, every Saturday night, I started a um, with a nonprofit. I started a program and, and I, I found some government funding. This is in 1995. And it's called Late Night Sports. And so every Saturday night, I would open a gym, three full basketball courts. I, I partnered with the local high school athletes, the captains of the local high school athletes and developed a little bit of a, a leadership um, mechanism. So I would, on Wednesdays, I would coach them up on leadership practices. And I was just like a couple chapters ahead of them, you know, like they're seniors in high school and I'm uh, just graduating college. And, and I'm teaching them on leadership, whatever. And then on Saturday night, we'd open up the gym and it was in Los Angeles. And so we had first night, we had 130 um, high school and college age people show up. And the only price to admission, we had a DJ. We had like this this whole kind of alive mechanism. And the only price to admission was they had to sign a behavioral contract. And then they had to listen to me for five minutes. And, and that was it. And so I would speak to 130 people every Saturday night. They didn't want to listen to me they want to go play hoops, right? They want to do that. And it was, you know, LA has got good hoops. And so it was all above the rim. It was amazing. And that's where I cut, that was my woodshed. So for 18 years, every Saturday night, I didn't go out. I didn't go to a bar. I didn't go to a club. I didn't do anything. I was figuring out how to take science and condense it down into a five minute little application. And so all of us, we all need a place to practice. And so my practice was with high school and college-age kids that did not care what I had to say. <laughs> and and but they liked when it when it landed and it worked for them, they loved it.
2: Sweet. That's so sweet. Um when did you start venturing into the professional guys? Or kind of what was like what kind of jump you to that next level when you realize you'll rather work with uh, more experienced guys than adolescents.
1: The um, so right when I graduated, I got an opportunity. Um, the GM of a professional hockey team, a local professional hockey team. Hockey team. Um, we met. I had a, I had a, um, what I thought was a quote unquote career-ending injury, <clears throat> and it was a it was a bad surfing accident and, uh, upper vertebrae in my cervical spine. I had one really bad extrusion and one intrusion, which is like when the disc pops in, it's pushing against the spine. And then it broke off. Like I wasn't able to lift my laundry. I could barely drive a car. Cause I couldn't for like two and a half years. It was, it was like, it was a pain in the ass. And so I was working a lot on trying to rehab and get better. And I happened to be working with, um, the, uh the strength coach for the hockey team and then so he's like dude like i want to introduce you to the gm so we met the gm and like bang we hit it off it was awesome he goes oh i'm bringing you in this is going to be great and so i came into hockey i didn't play hockey again remember my stick and ball kind of you know (laughs) experience and so i show up the first day and i was signed i signed a contract i hadn't met the coach yet you want to talk about green Okay. I didn't, I was, I had like uh, a t-shirt on and like pants and I showed up to the rink. <laughs> it was freezing. And he sees me, he sees me walk in. He's like, oh God, the coach. So he brings all the guys to the center of the ice, blows a whistle. And then um, I don't know what he's doing, but he's lo- looking back now. I know he bagged him. them. He had them do blue line sprints, which is like at the end of practice. Now he's having them run sprints. Okay. So now they're coming off the ice, agitated, hot, irritated. And he looks at me with a smile. And he's like, Hey, Mike, let's go in my office. And so as we p- pass by the locker room, he says to the guys, he goes, Hey guys, um, stay in your gear. I'm going to be right back. And they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, 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 stay in your gear. Just hold on. Just be right back. So we go into his office, the coach and I, and he's like, Hey, nice to meet you. Da, 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 da. You know, okay. Tell me about yourself. And I'm thinking the guys are in the locker room. Like what? is this mid practice? Like I'm kind of, I'm a little confused. And and so I'm looking and I'm being polite and listening to what's going on. he goes, Hey, let's go meet the guys. Come on. So he walks out into the middle of the room and he says, um, he says, all right, boys. um, I just want to introduce you to, uh, to Gervais. He's our, he's our sports psych here. And so if you're fucked up in the head, go see him. How about it? Imagine that welcome. (laughs) Okay. So um, I didn't love it. I, don't, I what are we doing? You know, like, what are these angles and politics? And like, so I, I did, I didn't come from money and I, this is going to sound like a tough guy story, but it's not, I didn't come from money. I didn't, you know, we had modest means it, eventually my dad got a job in corporate America and we, we, it was pretty middle-class, but prior to that, it was on the farm where like, like <laughs> it was exactly what you imagine. And so, um, and then I grew up in action sports and there's a little bit of punk rock in that, you know? And so coach is walking by and I'm like, Hey, I don't fucking need this. And so I said, Hey coach. And I'm grinning and smiling. I go doors open for you. And the boys erupted. You know, I was like, I don't need this job. I'm out of here. And the boys erupted and the Gatorade, you know, cups are being thrown around the room and they're laughing and, you know, like, ah, coach, you got you. And so coach, you know, and he's got this big old scar across his face. Like he's earned the right you know, to understand hockey at the deepest levels and the you know, you get dinged up in hockey. Uh, some guys do. And so he stops mid midstream, kind of looks back at me and he's like, good for you, kid, you know, you little bastard. <laughs> and so, um, so that was like, that was the beginnings of, of my entry. And I, I, but quickly, I learned that like, it's just, it's this, this macho stuff that I, I didn't, I don't really love. So I, I didn't last very long in pro sport. I left. And then I went into um, surfing, a little military work. I found myself, um, I was interested in the Olympics cause it was a purity there. Um, but, but I went to MMA and did some work in the UFC. Um, and, uh, and then eventually found my way to Red Bull and helped out, um, at the very beginnings, help build out and support their program. They were building for athletic development. And so projects where, Felix Baumgartner jumped out of space from 120,000 feet where, um, you know, Luke Aikens jumped from an airplane to 30,000 feet without a parachute into a net that he built, like supporting those projects and, 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 so then I, then full circle. Then I found myself back in the NFL.
2: That's so cool. Your background is ri- ridiculous. That's, that's amazing.
1: <clears throat> we all have our stories, you know, like, like, you're just asking me about mine. I didn't get a chance to ask you about yours. Yeah. You
0: have your stories too. Yeah, yeah, we do. But just the the trailblazing, uh, creating something that really wasn't there, uh, kind of taking what what was known in an academic sense for for a small group of people and and applying it. I mean, that there's you know good reason why you know many people see you as the father of applied sports psychology. I just like to commend you on on the work you've done, you know, throughout your career. And I wanted to let my listeners know that. Many of these ideas are condensed down into a masterclass, the Finding Mastery masterclass that you can find yeah. in the description. And before, before I let you go and um, you hey, get doc, back to, doc, to your busy doc. day, I have uh, one question for you kind of a, about that. Just one of the chapters. I wanna hear a little bit about vision and okay. how vision is different than goal setting. Uh, okay. I would just love to hear a little bit about that.
1: I, I just wanna say thank you for all those kind words. Like I'm just trying to figure it out, dude. I'm just, you know, just trying to figure it out too. And so, um, okay, vision and, vision and goals. So, let, you know, um, I don't have a better word for vision be, in my mind, because really it's about using the, your imagination. And so using your imagination in whatever form to see if you can get as vivid as you possibly can, about the human you want to be and the types of activities you want to be and the way that you want to do those activities. So it's, our minds are not good at casting forward. Like when we cast forward, um, because we're trying to solve survival. I mean, our brain is this beautiful mechanism and our mind is the software that's trying to organize, you know, the, the, the hardware of the brain. And when we, one, when we think forward, there's a luxury if you're being chased down by a saber tooth or in the midst of war, like there's not the luxury to think forward. So it's, this is a luxury to be able to do. And our brain is, and minds don't really think about luxuries all that often, right? It's that the hardwiring from hundreds of thousands of years ago are survived. Now scan, find danger, scan, find danger now scan that. And that's why if you don't work with your internal mechanisms, we'll find ourselves anxious quickly. The brain wins easily. And when the brain wins, we become anxious because its job is to scan and find the dangers. So it's just a pause and to think about the future in a way that you're trying to become as vivid as you possibly can about the beautiful way that you want to live your life. So who, what, and how, right? Like who who are you becoming? What do you want to do in the future? And then how do you want to do it? So that's really what this idea about vision sounds so flat. Right. But that's the depth of it. And it takes time. And if you can add a dimension to it, which that you see, whatever you see and feel with this crispness of your imagination, by the way, it's hard to hold these visions, this, this, this imagery in mind, if you add a dimension of meaning and purpose to it, okay. So that's kind of it. And then you write that down. When you write that stuff down and plan and organize it, that's goal setting. And so it's that first part to use the power of the most powerful part of the human experience. There's two radically powerful parts of psychology. One is emotions and feelings. We're not very good at them, but that is, they're so powerful. And if you can skill up on those, there's a freedom now on the other side of that. And the other is to use your imagination to go, okay. If I, have some, if I have some control of how I conduct my life, how do I want it to be? What do I want to do? Who am I becoming? And then just get that thing so locked in and clear that you can organize a plan accordingly. So that's the difference between vision and goals.
0: Uh, it's incredibly well put. It's just, we, we spend so much time worrying about potential things that could happen in our future. You know, this the state of like anxiety, that we, and like comparatively, humans spend so much less time creating plans, visions to how to succeed and, and how to do that. And yeah, if you just can kind of like switch the way that, that your mind thinks, I think it can lead to some pretty amazing outcomes, switching from like kind of this default mode network of including like fear and threats to, to, to one that's more that's more planned out through vision. I, I think that's, that's an amazing thing. So Dr. Drave, just want to say thank you so much for, for taking the time today. Uh, this was an amazing experience. And, and I hope that this inspires a lot of young folks out there that, that see um, a vision now for how to become a sports psychologist, what's what it takes, the different skills that, that are needed, and the different ways that you can influence those to perform at, at peak levels.
1: Hey, thank you, brother. And um I appreciate you guys creating this forum and then let me just kind of jabber a little bit, tell some stories. And uh, you know, I'm wishing, I'm wishing I love this field and it, there's so many different dimensions for us to be able to play in it. And so it is left to our imagination of where we take this field as well. And I, I do think as trite as this might sound that when we apply our own badass insights and practices to ourselves, and we become radically uncommonly authentic, you know, like you change rooms. And some of those people in those rooms change industry. And then when some of those folks in the industry change industry, they change the potential of humans. And and so it's not lost the pebble in the pond opportunity that your community has. And so Um, I'm, I'm wishing us the very best. We need it. Yes, we do. Thank you for your time.